Welcome to Property and Investing with Grant and Charlie. I'll point right one day. The place where we're giving you access to all the strategies, tactics, and tools that we use in our property investment journey. Now, if you want access to them, but also to get notified every single time we drop one of these episodes, head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, put in your details, and just enjoy Charlie's stories. He tells some pretty darn good stories in relation to his investment journey as well as my investment journey. Now, before we get started, let's cue... Uh, The disclaimer. It's Charlie here from Property and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant and I and the Property Investing team are in no way, shape or form qualified to give you financial advice. We strongly encourage you seek out and use professionals when comparing investment products or making investment decisions. All right, Grant. A lot of news comes out across the month. There's a lot of articles on property. There's a lot of reports come out. And I think it's be very easy for someone to get overwhelmed by all the noise and also not really understand what it means, right? Or how they can utilize it. So one of the episode types I really want to make sure we do every month at least on this show is what I'm going to call the roundup. And this is where you and I are going to pull out some of the articles and reports we find interesting And then we're going to discuss them. And I want to discuss them in a really unique way because I feel like a lot of people just regurgitate what they read in their own words. Yes. So, Grant, I'm looking at the CoreLogic report and property values fell by 1%. And I I just look at that and go, but, like, great. And? And, and. like, (laughs) how, how can I make that useful? Like, what does it mean for me? What are other people doing because of this news? And I can't find anyone out there actually doing this thing. It's just kind of repeated in that way. So that's the episode type. We're going to do it. I'm going to label it the roundup. So I'm putting it out there. Every time I read like the list that we're going to go through today, I was just like looking for self-validation. I'm like, see, Charlie, I knew I did something correct. See, Charlie, I knew (laughs) this was the case. And all it is is self-validation is my knee-jerk reaction. And then I'll have an opinion about what I'm going to do later. Do you? (laughs) Do you find it difficult to know what news is important versus not? Like sometimes an article comes out for me and I'm like, sell everything. No, I'm not really, but you get the idea. Where do you land? (laughs) I have, dude, it's like, you know, those animals that like stick their head out and go back in, stick their head out and go back in just to see if like there's any Wait, are you describing a turtle? (laughs) No, like little mouses, like the meerkat kind of things. Anyway. That's me when it comes to the news. I like, I'll read something. And I'm like, oh, that was really insightful. Oh, this is good. And then I like consume a little bit more. I'm like, no, 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 it's all shit. And then I'll go back. <laughs> and then I'll just like be in my house for a week or two. And then I'll be like, oh, that article was interesting. Ooh. And then I'll consume some more. I'm like, no, that's shit. And I'll go back to my house. That's me with news. <laughs> How interesting. I, I think I'm a bit of the overreactor or has been right in the past. I'm not so much these days, but I, I remember if I look back, I, I would like read something about like grain price growing because of like the shipments and like something going on with foreign exchange and, you know, all these companies are going to go bankrupt because of the change in grain price. And I'd be reading this like doomsday article I'm like, and then I'd be like, well, it's a terrible time to buy property because of all this. And I'm like, it didn't matter, right? Being able to actually <laughs> nothing at all eventuated from the article I read years ago. It was no collapse, no apocalypse. So like, and I've gone both ways on that as well. I really have. So being able to discern, use, and weight it on the journey of being a property investor, I think, is so important. 
Completely, especially when, like, what is it? Negligence is not really an option. Like, if you were to just try and bury your head in the sand and all these rate rises came out, and you'd be like, oh, wait, why am I getting charged more for this thing? What does that actually mean? Yeah, I think you're in for a world of hurt. Yeah, I, I concur on that. You've got to stay somewhat informed. So let, let's kick into this. I know we've got an interesting topic one today. Do you want to leave this one off or should I? <laughs> Dude, I'm a nice guy. You're going to have to leave this one off. Like, I'm, <laughs> I feel sorry for the guy. Like, I'm like, oh, All right. my God. So an interesting article came out. Uh, I believe it was on the AFR. Actually, it was. Correct. I can see the uh, link in our notes here. And it, it made the suggestion, is Philip Lowe Australia's biggest Finfluencer? The answer is yes. He damn straight is. I, I agree. This is something where what this guy says moves markets. If it, I go it, on uh, Twitter or Facebook or whatever it is right now and I put my commentary around rate rises or interest rates in general out, would anyone really take it that seriously? <laughs> I would, Charlie. Like, I care what you say. But the rest of the world, maybe not. <laughs> but, this, but this is a killer, right, because he might not have that big of a fanfare, right? Like, he might not have the biggest following on his Twitter account, on his Instas, on his Facebook page. He probably doesn't even have a Facebook page or a Facebook profile. But the problem is the second and third stages – did every single person in property retweet what he says <laughs> every, or like just tweets it in the, as their own interpretation or version of it, which is probably even more dangerous. Every news outlet, oh, my gosh, head of the RBA, Philip Lowe's coming out with something new, this is gospel. Like it's for him, the influence is almost through like the second sphere of, I don't know, amplification I'll call it. Like I, I feel – I actually feel sorry for the guy. I, I do as well. So let's just look at this. I don't think Phil Lowe was really that well known in a low interest rate environment or when there was low inflation. No. And since there's been changes to that, he's almost become the like villain. Right? So when like he's the guy that decides if the rates are going to go up and because that changes households, right? When rates go up, if you hold a mortgage, like you're impacted from that, it's been very like evident that the media has just like slammed him. Like this is the perfect villain, right? Because he can't rebuttal in the ways. Like it's nice to have someone to blame, that, and like the media cycle is just perpetuating this in a really, really heavy way. But I want to ask you the question on this: Do you feel that Philip Lowe is a like is the role he does impossible? Like if you look at what's occurred in the last couple of years. Would a different person have made a difference here or was he in an impossible situation and he's done reasonable considering what is unfolded here? Dude, that is, that's a heavy question. So I, I think of it this way. I'm like, well, who and what influences the decision of the RBA, right? Because it's one thing to be the head of the snake, but the body still does something, right? So he has all of his constituents within the RBA that provide him data analyze the data, interpret the data, and he's the spokesperson essentially, which uses their views. He's then got the power of the government saying, this is what we want to do and this is what we need to do as an influencing force. But then he's also got the people and the populace of Australia. <laughs> and he's just like, Well, they're, they're an independent agency, Grant. There's no, uh, men- by no means a government <laughs> influencing his decisions. You don't think they're piling on Dude, pressure as well? My, uh, of course. Man, I have read, yes. I've read way too much history books, 110%. <laughs> there, is, there are conversations, whether or not they're going to be published and noted. 
has to they have to have the conversations. And so I sit there and I I feel for him because I see him more as a spokesperson. Oh, I'm watching like, you dodge your question here. I do, do you like think this? it's this is a do you think it's a Philip Lowe problem or do you think it's a role problem? It's a role problem. It's a role problem. Which is why So I you think he did him. reasonably considering what had gone down? It, there was if you put me in as Philip Lowe, the outcome and the comments would have been exactly the same. If you put you in, I think it would be exactly the same. You're not talking about a CEO of a company that can really sort of influence and drive and innovate and things like that. This is, in my opinion, the I don't know the consensus. He follows the consensus at the time. It's like this is what needs to happen in their opinion of based on RBA, based on the government, based on the people. And you, at the time, with the information you had, you would have still landed on the same outcome. It's not because of this one fierce leader that's like, well, screw you, government, screw you, RBA, screw all the rest of the RBA team, screw you, the rest of the populace. I'm going to go this and I'm going to well, blaze a path, blaze my own trail. I just, I don't see it happening. He's a spokes guy. Something I've been thinking a lot about is like awareness of impact. Right. So as I said, for, imagine this, right? For years and years, you're Philip Lowe and it's like people aren't watching your media releases or tuning in at the level they once did and you've just become accustomed to it, right? And then all of a sudden, you're now like one of the biggest influences in the country. What you say matters and you're not aware of it. It would be very easy to lull yourself into the, to the idea that you don't have the influence you really do. And when you make comments like, hey, maybe rates won't go up till 2024. You think it's like, you know, old times, but in reality is like people are like, let's get tattoos. And then on the back of that, it's like, whoa, I didn't necessarily have awareness to how impactful I am here, how powerful are my words. Totally. And th- I remember that I was reading a statistic, uh, which was like a, apparently 164,000 Australians got into the market in 2021. And so like the argument is, well, based on his points of, well, interest rates are probably aren't going to increase until 2024. The argument is that these people might not have actually gone into the market if they knew that rates were going to change or rates were going to rise, et cetera, which is kind of where this argument comes from, which is like, well, his comments influenced it. But I still, like, I still look at this. Who wants to be the guy that says, hey, Australian economy, just be cautious because we've printed a lot of money, right? Don't spend a heap of it because it could create inflation. No one. <laughs> like, I, the- I, dis- I disagree with that so much. He gets paid a million dollars a year. I think many I people it. would happily take that role on. For the money? I'll do it for a million bucks right now. I will literally, if they want to pay me a million dollars, I'll get up all the time and say, listen here, personal responsibility and savings. Okay, so what what about this? So imagine you've got 100 people in the RBA and you're the you're the head of it and 99 of them say, say something positive because we need to make sure the economy is going to continue growing because we've just printed a whole heap of money. You're, you feel like you'll be the guy that was standing at the front and go, nope, I'm going to go the complete opposite way. I think you're mixing two points here. I So this is where I look at it and go, how is it possible, right? Could anyone have predicted the pandemic? No, impossible. Okay. Impossible. I agree. So how could anyone predict the rates wouldn't go up till 2024? That was a mistake. I, That's not but, going against or for anything. That's dumb forecasting. There's no he, way he could have, and he's got caught out by what is eventuated in, in wars. But did So he you might have that? consensus and things, but how it was communicated was not great. Okay. Yeah, I was so 
it would have been the consensus of the RBA, but you're right. The way that it was communicated, the words were put on a piece of paper and the, the things that were said to a camera, I agree with that. He could have verbalised that in a better format. I, I, will, yeah. I will agree with that. All right, and then the next point is, and just for those playing along at home, is there's 60 economists that work at the RBA. 60, 60. right? So it's not just Robert Lowe, but again, he is the face of the brand. My and just as a little side tension is a lot of the conversations they have, uh, what do they call them? They, they're not public record. They're off, they're never to be released. So it's like there's a lot of funny business that goes on at the RBA. There, there really, really is. <clears throat> but uh, I'm more interested in this idea here. Do you think because trust has been broken now with Phil Lowe, and I want you to imagine this. Imagine like your partner has cheated on you, right? So your wife or significant other has done the dirty and like is this a repairable relationship? Like, does he ever get his credibility back where we will trust him in the same way or does he need to move on? I feel like you've been reading my personal diary of my thoughts around Philip Lowe each night. <laughs> You're like, has he cheated on me? I, this is, he, he'll be a scapegoat. This would be the decision lands with him, the buck lands with him. Uh, depending, uh, I think he would still have like uh, a little bit more of a run to go because I want to see where it lands because no one else wants to step into the position now as well. Um, but he'll be a scapegoat. It'll be like, hey, the RBA is still here. They're still good at what they do, which arguably they are. Uh, it's just that at the time of leadership, it was led the wrong way. Trust us again. This is the transparency we're going to provide on top or maybe no change will be happened. It's just we will learn from the past and we'll go again and then someone else will be in there. It's no different to us having a prime minister that has done something that hasn't benefited the economy and the economy responds by saying let's change out the government and let's continue running forwards. I, I think that's what's going to happen. Do you, do you think the same or do you think something completely different? Do you reckon he's here for the long term? Now I, I look at this right now and I say unfortunately people's entire career can be uh, put down to a moment. And from what I understand and what I've watched of Phil's, because we're on a first-name basis. Um, Philly. What is it, Dr. Lowe? It's um, Dr. Like Lowe. He's literally got a PhD, right? He's a doctorate. He's incredibly smart and talented at what he does. And I think it's very unfortunate that his career may be put down to this moment, but you see this elsewhere. And I think yeah. that um, there's an undervalue of trust here. Like what a country wants from whoever runs their reserve bank or federal bank or whatever it is, is like there's got to be a congruency on these things. And the way that mistake happened, I just think has been far too influential. And it was, I, I hate to say it, right, because I kind of like the guy. I really do. Like, I've got mad respect for him. But at the same time, I just don't see what he would be able to do to be trustworthy again. Because if he's to remain trustworthy, what if what if a circumstance comes up where he has to change his mind again because it's the right thing, but he won't do it now because he's carrying this past experience in? And that, I, I love that point because it's like once bitten, twice shy. So – if you look at sort of the statements and the way that he communicated when it was like rates won't rise until 2024-ish, um, like it was it was stern. It was it was a leader. It was like this is what's going to happen and this is the right thing to do because of these reasons. If you now look at a lot of the conversations, it's uh, quite defensive. It's quite uncertain. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe this might change. Maybe that might change. There is no certainty. So I look at it I'm like from a guy that I would go, yep, I would follow you into a battle to now going through the amount of uncertainty that you've got creates uncertainty in me. Where's that leadership that I'm looking for? And that's where I'm like, oh, it's, it's now on shaky ground. To the point, if he said rates need to go up to beat inflation, 
he kind of has to deliver that on that regardless of circumstance now. And I look at that and go, oh, that's not a corner you want to be painted in it too. It's like you want to be able to have trust to make the right decision. I'll ask one final question on this one because I think this is important. Has this changed anything for you when it comes to being an investor? This is, this goes back to my analogy of being the mouse that keeps sticking his head out and going back in the hole, sticking his head out, going back in the hole. So like it has revalidated the uncertainty of things. Like it's when people forecast, it is not written in stone. Like it is thing, things haven't happened like to your point. With the pandemic, like no one was going to estimate that. The amount of inflation that hit us, maybe you could have estimated it if you sort of knew where things were coming. But again, if you were leaning on the uh, the Philip Lowe's of the world, then maybe you thought it wasn't going to be the case or like Jerome Powell with inflation over in the States. For me personally, I still need to be aware of what the RBA is saying. I still need to be aware, like, I still need to be aware of the government's budget. I still need to be aware of the interest rates the banks are going to charge me because it's a, an awareness piece. My interpretation though now is just more with caution until, what is it, until the kind of that reliability has been built up again, noting that I'm continually telling myself that that reliability or that seeming trustworthiness is probably something that I need to take with a grain of salt. Because again, Can I just, re-articulate what you said there? Are you telling me now that maybe when uh, the RBA released something, you weighted it like a 10 out of 10 in importance, where now you're like, oh, you've kind of broken me here. I might move this down to a seven. So I'll tell you exactly. Like when they say something, I now go out looking for validating data. <laughs> like I, they say something and I go to the bond market and I'm like, is this real? I'll go and look at like inflation prints or like CPI prints. I'm like, Really? <laughs> and so I will actually go to validate their hypothesis for myself. So you're right. Like is the confidence going from not, not necessarily a 10, but like an eight or a nine down to like a four slash five, which is now is a point of reference as opposed to a sort of a guiding principle. <laughs> what about you? Are, you? are you like a 10 out of 10 now? I feel like you're the 10 out of 10 type of guy. I will say it's notably shifted things for me. Mm. Notably. So um, I uh, have a very reasonable sized portfolio and interest rate moves in the amount of debt I was carrying and it was being the key word there has made me realize how susceptible I am to change here. So on the back of what has occurred, and I don't want this to come across as like I'm a property bear. I'm, a, I'm actually anything but a property bear. I'm trying to buy more property now. I believe in it so much. But not financial advice. Don't do what I do. Don't listen to two dickheads on a podcast and then go broke and blame us. <laughs> <clears throat> but I look at this right now and I go, look, being in this case, I'm less trusting of Philip Lowe and what the RBA does. And it's not directly Philip, but it's like the idea going, these guys don't know what they're predicting and forecasting. How is it reasonable for me to have a large amount of debt based on their feedback? Like would I take extra risk with debt right now looking at how well they've done in the last 12 months? And I look at it and go, well, if someone has the greatest track record of being able to forecast in the last 12 months and probably longer than that in all honesty, I need to change the way I'm approaching this. So for me, I've actually moved markets. So for me personally, the amount of cash buffer I have in each offset account, I've now increased. And the reason for that is that gives me less debt, which means there's less volatility on the interest rate itself. And then the second notion of that is I've now changed how much deposit I want to put into 
uh, property when I do it, again, to reduce my risk exposure to interest rates. So it's kind of like I've shifted my risk because my trust of what central banks will do. And it's not even trust-like, but just even in recognizing their real ability to forecast things accurately has become lower. So I just want to shuffle that in the right direction. And the reason for that is because if anything can happen, I want to be in a position to seize the opportunities when anything happens. And if I'm too loaded with debt because I have relied on uh, someone that doesn't prove to have the best record, that would stop me from being in the game. So that's been the really big shift for me. So quite a noticeable change based on these events. Considering that and noting that your sentiment is probably very similar to sort of quite a lot of property investors, if you had the power to remove Philip Lowe and replace him with someone else, would you? Like today, for example. Yeah, I think they need to, to be honest. And it comes back to this is like um, if someone hasn't done well, and I'd like that's a perception, right? I'm, I'm saying that if the perception is that someone's not doing well, I think one of the best things uh, a company can do is announce new leadership. So let's say that it got announced tomorrow that Carl Icahn is going to be the CEO, CEO of Facebook. At what direction do you think that and speed do you think that stock would go? Uh, vertically up. It'd be great. Yeah, c- completely. Like So when the announcement of new leadership is brought in in a positive light, and it's perceived that this person is going to do a better job, that's how you restore confidence in a company. So I kind of think of the RBA as a company here and going, it's like if the confidence in the leadership is low and unrepairable in my position, if I wanted to restore that confidence, that's the change that needs to make. Now, even if he does the same things that Rob Lowe does, the perception of like there's someone new in there, they're on it, they're not going to do that, would restore things from there. And I think that that may shape a bias. Would it change my opinion from here? No, I still think they're all the ability to forecast when anything can happen is really difficult. I don't think you anyone can do it. Yeah, you just want to head on a spike. I get it. I get totally. It. <laughs> I, I share that sentiment. I, I definitely do. I think that, that having someone who walks in with a plan, walks in with that, I don't know, that bravado, I'll call it, that confidence in like this is what happened, this is why it happened, here's the head on a spike, this is how it's going to be for the next three months or the next 12 months or whatever. And this is how we're going to approach it moving forwards because we've learned. It's funny. I don't think it would change too much in my view on how I do approach property, but I think that the sentiment would be very different because people would feel, feel confident again in the next stage of leader where they go, great, lessons learned, approach moving forwards. That's what I'm looking for and I'm not getting it right now. Completely. So just to recap on this and we'll move to the next point. So little little tips here or things that I think are worth noting is like, is Rob Lowe probably one of the biggest influences in Australia? Absolutely. Headset. That is a merited yes. idea. Um, is his ability to forecast strong though? Not that great in my opinion. Um, so what I'd be saying is like, one, for anyone listening to this podcast, please make sure you're waiting things. And maybe go through where you're getting your news from and discern it's like, well, how trustworthy, credible and reliable is each source before you are making decisions around that or pulling big moves in property where potentially you're taking on debt and things like that. And then uh, to the point of like, you know, so that's Grant's wrap up and then, you know, I'll speak for you now on this podcast. Why not? <laughs> it's completely fine. I'll just sit here drinking coffee. And then from my perspective, like I made a decision that I my risk was too high based on the assumption that the RPA was better at their job. <laughs> 
I want to blame them and take no responsibility, Grant. It's a perfect way to do it. And just well, say, I'm just adjusting my risk ongoingly now. I'm going to take a little bit res- less risk. And I say, please take a note of this. I'm taking less risk. I am not a bear. I don't want to be labelled a property bear at all. If I see a <laughs> bargain, I'm buying it. Stacking cash in offset accounts is like a horrible thing. Not. I think it's I'll, I'll be ready. <laughs> uh, uh, you can lead off I'll point look. two. All right, Charlie. So this is just a lovely report that lands in my inbox every single month. Although there's another one, which is called the propertyinvesting.com slash newsletter. That's a good one too. This one's the second, Wait, second good one. That was the best plug you have you like ever that? done. You that like was that really one. good. That's that pure genius. So the second best thing that drops in my inbox every single month is a lovely little company called CoreLogic. I don't know if you've heard of this little backyard shop, Charlie. It's one, one little one-man band. It sounds like they sell data, Grant. It sounds like, <laughs> are they like some sort of tech company in Silicon Valley? Well, CoreLogic's huge, massive company. Uh, and for anyone who doesn't actually know, CoreLogic just has data on all transactions that happen in the Australian property market. Oh, and come on, man. Everyone knows who CoreLogic are. It's the biggest player in I the love, game. Hey, I'm, I'm, this is what? Episode number two. I'm dropping in. Like I'm just dropping it in. Uh, so interesting. So every single month they come out with it. Charlie, I found some pretty interesting things when I was reading through this, but I'm not going to steal some of your points. I'm going to make sure that I can filter some in. Do you want to hit us with some of your top points or takeaways, I'll say, from the cool logic? Yeah, the first thing I want to acknowledge is the name of this report, the Hedonic Home Value Index. What a name. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what hedonic means? Like it's like it's the way that they weight. If I'm correct, it's like the way they weight the statistics. <laughs> but it's also the most valuable. It, <laughs> it just feels like, powerful because uh, domain use is a composition adjusted stratification index. By the way, Charlie, <laughs> just in case I'm, looking the, I'm literally looking this up. It is. <laughs> it's a a hedonic concept uh, dates back to the Greek philosophers who argued the ultimate goal of life ought to be to maximise pleasure. I kid you not, I'm reading that off right now. It's fantastic. <laughs> so, yes, they, they have concepts. I don't feel like that's the uh, meaning. I feel like that's some We'll go with one. it. We'll, we'll go with it. All so, right. yes. So, I love the hedonic home values index report. I actually really love this report. This is one of those emails I actually look out for. So for anyone that doesn't know, CoreLogic release release this report every month and what they actually do is they they give some really interesting insights to what changed in property. So for the month, like how much do things go up and down as a growth percentage, what's changed in rents, as well as insights and things that they suggest. It's completely free. If you don't get that, of course, get our newsletter first. That is the more important one. But secondly, I think this is a a really interesting one to read and go through. So I did a really good read through of this like yesterday. I actually reread it this morning. morning. Did you print it and read it or did you read it online? That's like I'm I'm all digital. I'm actually loving things on my iPad at the moment and being able to highlight. It's fun. Fair. Fair. I printed it, but sure. Can I I share the thing that like most notably hit me? All right. All right. We're going this top one each. All right. You go. All right, so the national decline from the peak is 7%. So I believe that was like early in the year, January, February. So from the peak of the property market to today, nationally, prices have fallen 7%. Now, like, and I looked at that and I went through it and I'm like scrolling down a little bit further and then you get the state-by-state breakdown. And then what was fascinating to me is that that 
is just so skewed towards particularly Cindy and then Melbourne. So significantly skewed. So if you had property in any other state, that one metric is just, I'll say it, complete bullshit. Totally. Do you, do you, can I go more interesting? All right, I'll let you. Go on. So, And then I scroll down to the uh, page seven of the report. Right, so I've looked at this like, you know, peak to trough per state, which I thought was really interesting. And then they've even got peak to trough. Um, they've even got like what houses versus units have done in each state as well, which I'm not going to go any in deep to that on this because I think there's plenty of good operators out there that regurgitate this report on a YouTube video for your consumption. But if you go down to page seven of this report, what they've actually done is a breakdown of the top performing what I'll call they're called SA3s, but think of them like council areas, right? Yeah. All right, so they've gone down and then for each state they've listed the top performing council areas for the year, right, in the same thing. And I'm like looking through this expecting them to be down and it was really shocking how many of them are up for the year and then how many of those are in my portfolio. (laughs) All right, so let me just retrace this for a bit. So you see, according to CoreLogic, prices dropped by 7% in average. Yeah, Grant, I lost 7%. Oh, I'm, <laughs> so I'm then, flipping a desk. I'm hitting a table. This is bullshit. I'm down 7%. And so then you've applied your untrustworthiness to Philip Lowe to your concept and go, no, nah, they trust it. So you've gone down to go, well, where do I have properties? Let's look at the states. So filter it out. And you're like, woohoo. Thank God. Yeah, I'm not, da- I'm like, not down as much. This is evening out. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not down 7%. Uh, although I will then, give you the exact number here. If you go to state level, if you just did my stuff by state and I was to look at it, I think I netted out at about zero, just to be clear. So I've gone from losing 7% to I'm like, oh, well, I've got properties in Western Australia and Queensland and, like, you know, I do have some in Victoria and New South Wales that have dropped a touch, just to be clear. But I'm, like, neutral now when we've gotten to this part of the report. How amazing. Is it, you're the type of guy that, like, when you have a cough, you, like, search for the symptoms of the cough and then you're like, I got cancer. You just get that reading. So you get to like page five and it's like, cancer. Like, <laughs> This does sound like the conversation we had about do I have a hernia the other week, I will say, which the doctor did laugh at me when I was in the room. But let's not discuss Charlie's health issues there. But there may, have, may or may not have been a, I felt I might have had a lump. It sounded like a hernia. Grant lulled me into the belief that it might be a hernia and then I'm at a doctor's office and she's laughing at me because she's like, you can't even get a hernia in that spot. May have happened. Um, anyway, looking to this, I'll, I'll loop into the last part. So, again, reading this report, and it's so fascinating. I've gone from down 7% to now I'm looking at the state level and I'm like, ooh, I'm okay. I read this bottom part here and I'm not just okay. I'm actually up for the year significantly. So I'm going to read these ones out. Bottles be popping. like <laughs> run around the house I'm actually going to celebrate this year because I think this is really important for every property investor is that if you are someone – looking at the state values or national levels, and that's how you're measuring things, I think you're missing out. So I'm going to go through these one by one. My WA property, so I've got a property in uh, Western Australia, that uh, council level, and I know the suburb is even up a bit higher, but the council level, up 9% for the year. Mm. Uh, next one, my I've got a property in, I'm going to say, I'm just going to be vague in where I say these here. I'm not going to give out my exact locations sure. because I don't want anyone to try and invest in based on what I say. But I've got some uh, properties, I'm just going to say Queensland north of Brisbane. So let's say Sunshine Coast and a little bit up, that whole stream there. 
I've got one that's up 9% as a council area. So again, I've just had two that are up nine, but the national fell by seven. I've got another one in Queensland where that council level is up 14% and then another one that's actually up 18%. And that's this year. That's not like over the last bit. That's a significant change. My other properties in New South Wales and Victoria have only have fallen less than 5%. It's actually like three. So for me, if I weighted this out as a, a whole thing, I'm actually up to over 10% for the year on a growth aspect. For my portfolio, which is a little smaller, so I've only got exposure in a couple of states, I saw similar. I saw 9%, a 12%, and then a 7%, all growth for the year. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's interesting. How, uh, yeah, because I did exactly the same thing you did, which was, oh, it's down. <laughs> Bullshit. All right, let's go and have a look at the stats. Even so, like I got revals done because I did a refinance just pre- previously, like last week. Uh, yeah, they're all being validated based on revaluations as well. <laughs> so it's not even speculation. Like it's like, no, this this is real. This is just crazy. Uh, the way I've started to think about this now, and I know I've heard many other commentators and I don't want to bang on about this point, but it's like if you were to invest in the S&P 500, could you accept that if the index was down 10%, that there would be companies within that that are actually up 10%? Yes. Like not all companies are going to be down. So I think we, that, like it's yeah. clearly proving a true concept here, yet – what we see when we look at some of these reports is like you've really got to filter into this. Like you've really got to be able to drum down and look at these things individually. And like you made a great point earlier about like weighting the news. I think you've got to pretty much look at national dwelling values and just go probably the worst metric to measure success in overall. Well, then it is something that it's funny. I'm going to point out one thing I'll make my second point. First one is – I love how self-fulfilling we are, which is like when we see a negative, it's like bullshit, go and validate that uh, I haven't done as bad. <laughs> like that's great. Yeah, but when like, national averages are up, I'm not going to check anything. because No, I, totally. It's like everyone, <laughs> everyone's winning. I said, put it all on red. Uh, but then the, the second thing that, that's really interesting is um, when you and I have spoken about this for ages, it's always looking at the percentages of those really high-valued houses. Like I bought investment properties for like what, less than 300 grand before, uh, which are not going to be hit as much, in my opinion, on these peaks and troughs, just because it's like you can rebuild them for around the same price that I bought them for. But when you've got a $20 million house in Vaucluse, Sydney, on the beach, like, and that thing shaves off 2 million bucks, 3 million bucks, and they take the dollar amount, not the count of houses that have been impacted. It's going to take a huge dive compared to my $300,000 house that might have dropped 30 grand compared to 3 million in the one in Vaucluse. And so when you look at the numbers, of course, these percentages are going to be hit most by like your Melbournes and Sydneys because they've got the highest dollar value compared to everywhere else in Australia. So I look at that and I'll go, this is why the contextual relevance is so important. When I look at this and I just go, oh, great. There was a second interesting point. Hey, go on. I was just going to say, has this made you look at it and go, all this data is bullshit? <laughs> no, because it made me feel good. Dude, any data that makes me feel good, I'm for, I'm for Charlie. I will support it and I'll pin it up on the wall and I'll be like, look at this. <laughs> but, totally, Do you know all- what it made me feel? 
I've got a set of bathroom scales, right? And um, like I weigh myself pretty regularly and I know they're not accurate, but they're kind of accurate <laughs> to themselves. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? So it's like well, I would never go in there and expect it to be like my weight is X. I just think that's a, a really poor weighting. But I would completely be fine with the idea that it's accurate to itself. So it's like a fun little measurement thing, but it's not something that I would actually ever treat as fact. So that's how I view the core logic thing. It's accurate to itself. It's a it's a good bit of fun, but I would never take it so seriously that it's gospel or could be used for like serious stuff. Like you want to go and get your real valuations done. You want to go do much deeper research if you want to know the actual value of your properties in this case. <laughs> or, or again, do grants poking his head out of the house analogy and just go and weigh yourself on the scale after you've been to the bathroom and just when you woke up when you don't have as much liquid in your body. Just because it, it tells a better story, Charlie. <laughs> it makes sure that I'm two kilos lighter. It's fantastic. Yeah, so you I'm get a valuation right in the boom, right? And then you hold on to that <laughs> through the trough and pretend Hold. That's the way. <laughs> hold. If, if I don't get a revaluation done, profit prices have not dropped. I just want to fill in one gap for people on that as well. I realize we have a range of experience who people who may be tuning into the show. Um, You can absolutely get valuations done on your properties through your mortgage broker and through the bank. Now there's two types. There's like what's known as a desktop valuation, which is someone on a computer will do a scan and give you what like a roughie or someone can go out to the property and value it itself. Now, if you are wanting the most accurate valuation of your property, the in-person valuation where the bank sends someone out is the way to do it. So I would highly encourage people to lean into that for their actuals or as close to. And maybe even real estate agents in the area might be able to give you some accuracy, although I'd probably shave 5% off whatever they say. They're trying to make a sale. So, um, But very notably, that's how you would get the most accurate data for yourself. Totally. So the, the interesting thing that I saw as a knee-jerk reaction off this, so I, I think it was like the first sentence in the report, which was like, after the, the rise to the peak nationally, which was 28.6% growth in the national property market, it is now dropping by 7%, which is the point that you were mentioning. You know what my brain instantly did, Charlie? It went 28.6, because I called 29, minus 7. I oh, was still up 22%, no worries at all, which is just such donkey maths. Like it just does not work that way. And I, I know that it doesn't. But the monkey brain, like as I was reading it, you know when your brain just does like these quick maths and it's like, hey, 22%, I just kept reading. And then I, I remember going, wait a second, that is not how that works, Grant. Why the hell are you allowing your brain to connect those dots that way? Uh, and you, there's actually this great analogy that you were talking about when we were riffing on this point um, from Tony Robbins. And I yeah, think this dude, this with me. Yeah. This completely messed with me. Right? I want you to imagine, you, I'll do the example for everyone because like this is something you really need to think about. His example was that people don't understand how they get chewed up in volatility. And he uses this example. He goes, imagine you've got a $100 and the market goes up 10%. Well, now you've got 110 But then it goes down 10%. So if you were to take 10% off, now you're at 99 But then it goes up 10%. Well, now you would roughly be at 109 But then it goes yeah. down 10%. So the point he makes is that you can actually go bankrupt just from the market going up and down 10%. Like volatility can absolutely chew you in in an example like that. And I think people forget that when you're using percentage in this way, it's applied to the total at each point. You don't get to cherry pick the time horizon of where it all comes out. 
So it's a really, really interesting concept um, to explore. But I, I realize we're getting tight on time on this episode, Grant, so I want to I make sure we jump Let's into some um, things. I, I definitely found a few, but I'd love to know, was there anything else that stood out in the Core Logic report to you that you would love to bring to the attention of our listeners here? Now, I know that you've got some of the points, same points, but so I'm going to call out one other one that I know is not on your list. One of the things that was revalidated to me, which I have read elsewhere, but it was like, very prominent in this report, was the amount of outstanding house credit that is on a fixed rate mortgage. And I'll share why this was important to me. So apparently 35% of mortgages in Australia are fixed rate at the moment. And two thirds. Did, did you find that surprising? I thought that was a lot higher than I anticipated. Yeah, me too. <laughs> like a Continue lot on. higher. As apparently two thirds of that will be expiring in the year 2023. So 66% will be expiring next year. So to and they, set this in simple terms, you think there's a lot of people locked in on like 2 and 3% rates that at some point in the next 12 months are suddenly going to be like jacked to 6 and they're totally. going to be like heavy change. So then I, I started thinking about, well, if I was the RBA knowing this, because they even in the core hey, logic yeah, report. We've already spoken about this. I wouldn't <laughs> give them any weight on that. Because <laughs> I'm like, how would they respond to this? And so I suspect that a lot of these are going to happen probably within like Q2 next year of when they will be expiring because the calculation suggested it's majority towards the start of the year. I'm starting to think, is this going to impact interest rates, rises, and them going, well, if we keep creating such uncertainty, these people are going to be like selling now or selling soon is going to be a better option. They're getting slammed with a 3%, 4%, 5% increase when all these people drop in. Because you're talking one-third – of all mortgages, a fixed rate. And out of all of them, 66% are going to be expiring next year. Like, talk about something that I'd be looking at if I was in the RBA going, oh, shit, these people are going to freak out and just panic sell or freak out and they're just going to struggle. I can understand why you would think that, but I don't think that's going to be the outcome. And I'll, I'll, I'll so that's your I'll call it opinion. And I'll give you my opinion now. It's a different one and we could both of us could be right or wrong here. So totally. I think you're uh, giving the – I think you're giving the RBA way too much credit. I really <laughs> do. That's what I would stand out here. What I think is more likely is they'll let that happen and that will actually change real demand and they'll say, look, I beat inflation. I, so I think they're going to stack the deck to be like, uh, again, to this point, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some more rate rises. And then when this change occurs, I think they're calling it the mortgage rate cliff, by the way. What a title. Um, Love it. I think that will be the thing where households really have to tighten budgets. It wouldn't surprise me if we see that as the date where, or somewhere around that date where that becomes in, maybe in that quarter or that three-month window, we'll see that consumption goes down massively because it is a lot of people and that might be the actual thing where they go, look, we're getting on top of this demand. We're finally squashed demand. And they'll take it as a victory. You don't think I, – I, so I agree that it will – because it's just people need to pay more interest on their debt, which means they have to get that money from somewhere, which is discretionary spending, spending going out for dinners, going out for buying consumer goods like new laptops, phones, and all those kind of things. Completely agree. And they will use that in the front line of the newspaper, which is maybe why Phil Lowe might hang around for a little bit longer. But I still think that there are a lot of families that that's going to – 
impact significantly. I, I don't discern the impact. I'm not but debating that. So you've, you've put out the point the, that it's like the RBA is going to be looking at that and going, oh, maybe we won't raise rates. I think the opposite. I think they're going to intentionally make this the point they prove it. That's an interesting point because my second order consequence of like, will the RBA look at it? Yes. And then I'm like, I think that a lot of places will come up on the market. But I think that, I think, so I don't think a lot, like, out See of why the, this forecasting thing is so hard? It's because it's so speculative. Because it's like, well, I'm assuming, you know what? The first thing I tried to look for was like, how many of those were like 90, 95% debt on the value of the house? Like, I'm like, but I just couldn't get the data. Because I'm like, I wonder how many of these, which usually in those scenarios are sort of lower socioeconomic. People who like just just said, I need to buy a house now as quick as humanly possible. I don't have the cash in the bank. I just want to buy it. And they're just going to get slammed when they become variable, right? And I'm like, because oh, if that is the case, dude, they are the ones that are going to need to put it up. I think there will be some great opportunities. I just don't think that it's going to be the tanking of the Australian market. Just as an investor, I'm like, I think there'll be some good opportunities that will pop up for me in 2023. That's the way I'm looking at it. And yeah, if, if your case does come true, dude, I'm for it. Like raise the interest rates because I'm down for buying some more. <laughs> I'm down for people selling their properties because I'm, I'm down with it. But I just thought that that was really interesting around just the volume of people who are sitting at 2 to 3% interest rates right now that are come, going to come back into the market. And then the other point in the back of my mind was I think the banks are going to offer some really good rates to pull them across into a different bank. So as people drop into variable, I think you're going to see some other banks go, hey, if you come over here, you're going to get a cheaper interest rate or you're going to get a better deal or you're going to get a better thing, which is good for me when I want to refinance. That was the other thing that I'm like, maybe that's going to happen. All right, well, how, how do you come to the notion of this then on that point? We've got immigration coming in and people wanting houses. How do some of these people that are now faced with higher rent or oh, sorry, higher mortgage payments, like maybe they move in with mum and dad and they rent their house out. Like maybe it never comes to market. Right, so I see those opportunities. I also see that if there's people coming into the country and wanting to buy, we won't see prices fall because there's very real demand for housing. And I'm just playing the other side of this here, right? There's a whole ton of things that could happen. And this is what makes property so fascinating. But um, Charlie's wild prediction here, I don't see property falling and going off a cliff. I just think there's too much demand and too many trends coming in to be more bullish. So I, I, should, I should articulate my point better. So I do not think the prices will drop in the sense you that- You just think listing we'll volume will go up? Listing volume will go up, more opportunities will go up, and the influx of net migration, positive migration, and all of these people with who are now first home buyers trying to get into the market, getting better financing, etc. I think that they will be bought. I just think the good thing for me as an investor is that there will be some good buying availability because people who might have some really good assets that I want in my name are now going to be. I'm going to sell this and then move in with mum and dad, go into a granny flat or anything. And you actually touched on a really interesting point there. CoreLogic mentioned this where they're seeing that there's like multiple tenants going into like one house. And um, I see that a lot with like immigration and things where, to your point, if a family, like a I don't know, husband and wife, maybe one kid move back in with the parents, like and the parents are renting, like they're seeing that happen more in order to sort of, I don't know, sort of traverse the undersupply of properties. And so, and I think that young families have the potential to do that. Immigrants have the potential to do that um, because they're obviously trying to set themselves up 
And if they're being impacted now, that's the only way for them to do it. I think there was another interesting point in the report itself about affordability though, because the idea being, I didn't necessarily recognise this, but let's say Sydney's gone down, uh, what are they saying? From from the peak, it's gone down 11%, uh, 11.4 total. You would think it'd be more affordable because it's gone down 11%. It's actually not because rates have gone up. So as interest rates have gone down, property's less affordable. And that's just Sydney as the example there. But to your point, if listings do go higher, and I say if they go higher, the actual amount of people that are in an affordability zone to be able to buy those things has changed. So it could present some very interesting opportunities and uh, to is- the point of being prepared for things. I, I can I can understand your rationale and reasoning. Again, I don't have a crystal ball on this, but it is a very, very, very fascinating ideation here on how you might play it. Yeah. And so I will put this out there. Am I trying to time the down part of a market? Yes. Hell? You're being opportunistic, definitely. <laughs> I'm not. I uh, I am more being more astute is the word I will use into what may or may not happen into the future. I think there's still great buying opportunities now. I'm more trying to play a great if I got cash in a bank account, freaking bring it on, bring 2023 on. Like I'm going to look to acquire multiples of them. I'm not, I don't see signals of a crashing market. I don't, I see signals of a good positive rental market, which is great for property investors. I see good immigration coming in, which is great for property investors, and I see the potential for stock for me to acquire, which is great for property investors. And I'm like, this could be what I'm happy for and exactly what I want to lean into heavier. So now I'm going, how do I just get more cash so that I can go harder into next year? All right. Well, I tell you what, I think we wrap this one up. uh, Hopefully people have appreciated our insights from not only uh, Mr. Lowe, but also the core logic report and the conversations we've had here. Please let us know if you are enjoying these types of episodes, uh, reach out to us on socials or reply to the emails if you are on the list there. But Grant, let's pack this one up. Let's do it. For everyone who's not on the emails, so you can't actually reply to Charlie, you probably need to go and head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, put in your deets, and then when Charlie pings you, just hit reply. Just let him know what you're thinking about and even some news that you're aware of or the things that you're contemplating. I just want to say thank you again to yourself, Charlie, and thanks again to everybody who's listening, and we look forward to catching you on the next episode of Property and Investing.